Welcome to Pod Rocket. Um, today we have Rob Levin on with us. Hi, Rob. How you doing? Hey, how's it going, Paul? So Rob has something pretty exciting to share with us. So we're going to be talking about agnostic UI. And, you know, f- to wrap it up really quickly into one sentence, to me, it's like one UI framework that can fit with all of my frameworks. But I'm, I'm going to read the quote off of the GitHub page just to make sure we get it right. Agnostic UI is a set of UI primitives that start their lives in clean HTML and CSS. These standard compliant components are then copied to our framework implementations for React, Vue, Savelle, and Angular. So could you tell us a little bit about what you think agnostic UI is and yeah, a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Paul. Okay, well, my name is Rob, Rob Levin, and I'm a UI engineer and uh, also, I guess, design technologist. I do a lot of style guides, design systems, UI component libraries. And yes, Agnostic UI is a component library. Um, it focuses on UI primitives, so like your really nuts and bolts UI components. And uh, basically, as you read in the uh, the blurb, you know, agnostic starts with HTML and CSS. So it's not tied to any JavaScript framework. It's not tied to React, Vue, or Svelte. Um, it's initially done um, in HTML and CSS. So it's probably useful to kind of quickly go through the process of creating a component, um, how I create a component in agnostic UI. Say you have a button It'll start with a button.css and a button.html. Make sure that that's uh, using semantic markup, that the uh, that the markup is accessible, that the CSS has got it styled basically the way we want. And then that button.css will be used in all of those framework implementations. And so for React, we use CSS modules, which is sort of an implementation detail, but basically... That button.css that we originally made the component in gets copied over with a little Node.js script into the React directory and is used for the React uh, button component. For Svelte and Vue, it's very much the same. They both use single file components, so the styles will reside in the component itself. And basically, that same sort of Node.js script will copy the contents of the button.css into those style tags using simple regular expression uh, matching. So basically the idea is that one button.css, uh, the contents of one style sheet is literally being used across the frameworks. And the, the reason why that's important is because once you've got your button branded to your company, um, you'd like to be able to use that same branded button whether it's React, Vue, Svelte, or Angular. And that's sort of the, the value prop and, and the promise of agnostic UI. Um, and I even have a CSS Tricks article, which I'll link to, which kind of does a very simplified version of building, uh, building the button that I've been <laughs> talking about. Fantastic. So it, it sounds like, to me, I can build something in agnostic UI and I, you know, I could even make like a little UI library for myself and run with that for the rest of my career, no matter what framework I use, because it's going to be able to be ported over, pr- pr- you know, provided it's implemented. 
Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Amazing. And in fact, I, you know, that's what I like to do is build design systems. And the whole project started because I had built a React only design system. And then just as that was kind of uh, getting underway, I discovered that our admin was actually done in Vue. And then I met with uh, our new Singapore team, which was offshore, and they were about to build a back office app, and they preferred Angular, you know? And so I had to, I was asked, hey, can we use Angular instead of React? And I was like, well, you know, the React component system is branded, and really you're going to have to do it in React. And that was kind of a bummer. And I was also, I think, tinkering with Svelte at the time. And I realized, hey, you know, why... Uh, why does a component have to be tied to a framework, especially if what's critical from a branding perspective is really just the CSS? Um, and so, you know, having tinkered a bit, I was like, wait a second, I, could, I can copy these over and, and, and just have a constraint that each component only has one style sheet. Um, and so I sort of slowly started working on it. And sure enough, uh, you know, did a couple proof of concepts and, and sure enough, it's definitely doable. Do you see any, you know, core piece of functionality that people would expect to be easily available, not easily available because of the abstractions you have to make or the copying process? Or would you say that the majority of the functionality is still there? For example, you know, could we get into a bit of open props and how those yeah. power components? Absolutely. So. Let's see. O open props the the library, Adam's library, or or just yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, sure. Um, so I did some experiments uh, on my blog actually using the agnostic Svelte package, and um, one of the uh, libraries I experimented with was Open Props. And to back up a step, agnostic UI is uh, platform CSS. There's no SAS, there's no uh, post CSS. Those are great tools, by the way. But for agnostic UI, it's it's pure CSS. And so the only way to, of course, theme it is using CSS custom properties. So um, agnostic UI exposes, you know, a set of themable properties. And what I did was some experiments taking open props and kind of assigning those where agnostic became the kind of in-house uh, property, sort of the way Adam sort of demos it himself, um, and then have a little switcher where you can switch between Indigo, uh, Cayenne, Blue, whatever. Um, and then I threw in like a custom theme where it didn't derive from open props, but really any sort of CSS custom properties system could be thrown at this because they're just CSS custom properties. It's just platform and, standard. Yeah. Would you define a CSS custom property sort of just like, you know, a overarching class of properties that you could apply to a given style sheet? Yeah. So CSS custom properties are a thing, I guess, that came about a few years ago, I want to say. And it's sort of, I think of the syntax, like a dash, dash, and then property name. And then you have a colon and assign a value like you would um, kind of in SAS, but it's um, on the platform. So th those can be changed dynamically at runtime and the, the user agent or the, the browser will actually respect it. In fact, that's how a lot of light mode, dark mode 
switching is being done these days. You stick a class class on the body tag, and then the CSS custom properties are essentially reactive. So then you can just have your brand that was blue now point to whatever the inverted uh, color is. Maybe it's white or something against a back uh, background or, or whatever that is. And so um, using open props, getting back to using open props, we're just assigning those values um, from one to the other. Right. Okay. So that kind of, for me, at least in my mental model right now, that's mimicking material UI's uh, different theming strategies where I can pass, pass in the theme and then replace the value based on what that value might be. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. I have so, an example on my blog, which I'll link to uh, so folks can see a more visual. <laughs> Great. Yeah, we can include that in the uh, podcast description for anybody that's listening or viewing. You can go awesome. check that out. Um, so wh- who should be using this, right, Rob? Like me, uh, just designing things. Should it be big companies using this? Who would you say is your first customer or intended user, I guess? of this type of library because it, it stemmed out of your you know professional need where you're like wait you know I, I see where this can go but did it did it translate for that type of customer when you built it or yeah out? i mean I, in terms of today it's a very early new library so i think you'd want to be careful maybe if you wouldn't want to use it maybe quite yet on an e-commerce site or something like that but side projects and um and things like that. It's, um, but it's coming underway pretty quickly. So I think it's also in good shape. But in terms of who would use it, um, you or I might use it on, on our blog or our side projects. Uh, companies could use it. The intent was, you know, as you said, it was as I was working, the, the vision was sort of like a design system. So say you're trying to create a, a design system from scratch. So that that's something that I do and I've been doing for a long time and I and I definitely believe in design systems and what is a design system? Just just to define it real quick. Yeah, well so that's a loaded <laughs> a loaded <laughs> thing to define. So let me let me say a design system is usually a, a set of things. It'll be a UI component library but also a, a definition of a bunch of patterns. Um, it'll define the brand and identity. It'll talk about how content is used. So maybe I should have, maybe I should avoid design system. Well, well, no, let's stick with design system. So you're a design technologist and you're trying to create your, what you can offer, which is say a component library um, inside a design system. And you're trying to do it from scratch. I've done this before and it's very hard to, to get enough of these components built fast enough to where the business is is not starting to get a little impatient <laughs> and questioning the ROI. So one of the things, honestly, for myself was I wanted to have something sort of in the can um, because another very viable way to build a custom design system is just to build it on top of Bootstrap or Material UI or Shocker or whatever, is, as you kind of alluded to. I just happened to want to... <laughs> I wanted to have my own that had a couple of things, you know, because I'm picky um, the way that I wanted them to be. And I also really like this idea of... You're an artist. You know? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm an artist, right? Creative. Um, I also like the idea of polyglot teams and and having a polyglot code base. And most of the popular 
implementations of, say, Bootstrap or Material. You know, well, Bootstrap, it's a CSS uh, library. Most of the ports, as far as I understand, are done from community members, and they're not necessarily by the core team. I could be wrong. Maybe the React one is. I'm not. I'm not certain. But that's not necessarily the reason for Bootstrap being right. It it has solid CSS based components, and then the community adds these things. So, if you're going, um, or let's take Material, same same type of thing. Say I'm going to view, and I want to use. I know I like Material. Um, am I going to use Viewify or am I going to use View Material? They both seem to implement Material Design. Which one does it better? Which one has more bug fixes? Which one is tracking the Material spec closer? I don't know. I have to go read blogs. I have to go install it. Um, I'm not criticizing these uh, different approaches, by the way. I hope it doesn't come off like that, but just kind of <laughs> comparing and contrasting. They're considerations. That They're you, considerations. You mind. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. And so agnostic UI, sort of the idea as a first-class citizen was, hey, we're going to really focus on semantic clean HTML and CSS and then use that CSS especially to derive these different frameworks. Um, so that if I'm working in React and I want to uh, stay on brand and use Vue for my admin, I can, and it'll still have the same brand. And and that's all through the, the CSS custom properties that I've chosen. Gotcha. All right. That that was a fantastic um, like little little overview about the motivation there. Um, yeah. So if if I were to go try to use uh, agnostic UI this evening, what do you think would be you know one of the biggest barriers to entry of somebody trying to approach this level of design versus starting with you know maybe their company has a design system or they just use Material UI or something? That's a great question. I think I think agnostic UI is sort of similar in the camps of material UI and bootstrap in that it, it does give you a sort of prefabricated component that you can then extend and customize yourself. So if you're not a designer, if I understood correctly, you're, you're talking about like some people might be more inclined to, to uh, define the aesthetics of your whole UI component library and some might, might not. So you would, you get a very nice, off-the-shelf sort of button or carousel or whatever. Well, we don't have carousels yet, but um, tabs and whatever, um, it'll look nice. And then as you want to customize it, you'll use CSS custom properties to do so. Um, kind of gets to the various ways you can do UI components. Um, today, it's very splintered. You have uh, atomic styles, which are sort of CSS utilities-based styles, so that kind of approach you use CSS classes in the class attribute of your HTML and people that use Tailwind or Tachyons would understand this approach very popular um, works great um, and then there's these camps where you sort of have a, um, a prescribed initial component that you can extend and override and customize and agnostic falls in that camp um, bootstrap or material would probably be in that camp. And then you, you even have CSS and JS, right? So styled components where you're actually, uh, dictating 
how the styles should look in your JavaScript. And Chakra UI is a great framework for React if you happen to be in F React for that. Um, and there's styled components and other things that are popular. So all these things are viable and, and great approaches. It's sort of like, what do you prefer? And I think the reason why something like Twitter Bootstrap has been so popular over the years is, is it covers the broadest set of users, you know, because you can customize it if, if you need to. But kind of as you unwrap it, it looks pretty decent. Um, it's very yeah. digest digestible up front. R when yeah, you know. and I think it gets a bad rap um, because a lot of people are, oh, this sort of has this Me Too bootstrap look. But what people don't realize is with bootstrap, you can import just one module if you'd like. You can override all the SAS variables. You can use their CSS custom properties. Um, and their code's pretty clean. I've looked, I, we use it at work, so I've had to look pretty extensively at bootstrap code. Um, but yeah, so... Agnostic UI takes a different approach because we don't use SAS, but we still use um, we use CSS class chaining or SMACs, if you've heard of that. <laughs> uh, SMA CSS by Jonathan Snook, kind of just a methodology. I might be getting into the weeds if I go down that road, but um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm a CSS nerd, so I can digress pretty what much. is <laughs> what is the coolest thing in css that maybe it's not even practical right but it's just something that you love there's one guy i saw who programmed uh bad apple in css uh, oh wow yeah and that was very impressive that definitely piqued my interest have you seen is there a project or something that you're just like damn that was cool uh, you know what i'm in awe of all these geniuses that do that kind of stuff i'm i'm such a nuts and bolts plumbing kind of guy um i'm like amazed at css grid <laughs> so it's like not, not very <laughs> pretty not very, dope uh, pretty awesome. adventurous but like yeah that, in fact agnostic ui does not supply a grid because grids are heavyweight there's a lot of code involved with with um abstracting a grid in a, in a css library and so I had a Flexbox based one and it was like a thousand lines of code. I was like, why do we, I don't need this. I got rid of it. Um, there are some Flexbox utilities. So Agnostic UI is not an atomic utility first framework, but it does provide uh, a small set of utilities. And, and so you can use uh, Flexbox through utilities, but otherwise I'd like use CSS grid. And yeah. <laughs> what is a utility in? Oh. Like yeah, definitely. great, great question. So, a utility is something like people. Everybody's seen it, but they don't. They're not quite aware of what it's called. But basically, if you have a CSS class that kind of does one thing well, so say it says text capitalize, and you plop that CSS class on your paragraph, and it capitalizes your text, or text uppercase, or uh, font hyphen bold. So it's like literally defining one. CSS property as you would in CSS. And usually they apply important because the idea is if you've applied a utility, you really want it to override anything else. So, um, <laughs> so those usually get important. And the idea of, um, designing or, or applying an atomic system is you sort of assemble these different utilities, these individual classes together. And, you know, 
just like in CSS, if you apply five or 10 of them, all of a sudden you've got a really nice card and it's got a drop shadow and stuff. And I also think that um, people that are proponents of this, it's like it's sort of, it's different than inline styles because you do have sort of a, a rhythm. So, so if you're applying spacing uh, using something like Tailwind, you'd at least have some sort of a rhythm to your spacing and there'd be a rhyme mm-hmm. or reason, you know what I mean? Um, but there's, there's big criticisms of it as well, which I won't get into. Right. I'm yeah. To, <laughs> well, when it comes to, to get into the Holy Wars of, <laughs> There's a lot of opinions that are easy to find on the internet. Um, oh yeah, very <laughs> so, um, and well, j- just for the record, also we heard it from from the man himself. Use CSS Grid, guys. Like it's it's right. really great. It's very powerful. You can do a lot with it. Um, I've always wondered when I've used Material UI Grid why I was doing so because it could have been done in six lines of CSS Grid, but alas, it exists. Yeah, extra stuff. So CSS Grid isn't exactly easy to learn. You do have to kind of spend a weekend, maybe just wrapping your head around it. But once you've once you've got it, it's it's there for good. <laughs> Rob, I just want to pick your brain. I don't know a lot about front end, and uh, I like to make my own apps. You know what I mean? And they're always terrible. So every time I do it, they're better. And I learn like everything I did wrong last time. So it's like really great to hear it from from a master <laughs> i guess yeah oh <laughs> i'm a back-end person so yeah um but i guess i guess we should uh talk a little bit about you know agnostic ui and the roadmap um for anybody uh listening who might want to use it so let, let's get back into that and uh uh touch on what do you think the next big milestone for agnostic is that's a great question i mean it's it's very early i'd say the the roadmap priority is increased component coverage. I've got about 25 components um, and that's across four frameworks. So it's really more like a hundred, but I'd like to get that up. You know, there's about probably 10 more that I need to really feel like it's a component coverage complete. Um, And that'll be like maybe a V1 pre-release or something. And then after that, I'll probably incorporate dark mode. Um, and otherwise, stability, bug fixes, edge cases, and just really making sure it's solid and, and uh, is usable in a real application. I'd love to have core contributors involved to help shape the future of the project. Um, I kind of feel like I have, to, I have to get it underway and get it as far as I can myself. But eventually, I'd love to have some core contributors, especially if somebody wants to do the Angular uh, stuff, because I'm <laughs> not as keen on the Angular uh, but it's there. Um, yeah. So that's sort of so the roadmap. Right now, if I'm on the GitHub, it seems like there are five contributors. Are are these people that have just kind of like posted things up and just been in yeah. and out? Yeah, basically for the most part, it's like typos or documentation fixes. Um, I have somebody who's uh, who's supposedly going to do a port of view to TypeScript, which is kind of exciting. Um, so... Folks are starting to roll in, but for the most part, it's been me working alone. Gotcha. Is this um, your first kind of framework that you've posted up or have you done other ones? Uh, ironically, I did do a SAS buttons uh, project eight or nine years ago, I'd say, with Alex Wolf. And it was really popular for back in the SAS days. 
and now I'm not using SAS or post CSS or anything. So it's kind of funny. Uh, I think SAS is great, by the way, but um, agnostic UI is just very straight on the platform. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it, it's also one thing I liked about it when I went to the website is it's it's very in your face about like, here are the things we do. You do it once underneath. And it, it feels like it fits very well into the front end like space right now in the, at this point in the timeline, you know, um, and hopefully as time continues on, it'll help consolidate things. Yeah. I mean, right now you've got these cool uh, projects like astro.build and 11D with Slinkity where they're doing this thing where you can server render everything by default, but then uh, use a like a little directive to say, hey, I want this little part uh, client side or partially hydrated. I guess they call it the islands architecture. Well, Astro supports React, Vue, Svelte, and you can actually pull those in to a, a single Astro page. So I'm I'm doing starting to do some experimentation. That that that's like a sweet spot for agnostic UI. So you can imagine um, you're you're doing a, a site that lends itself to like a static site generator like Astro, and you use uh, you know one team to do say the header. And the sidebar maybe is in React, and then like you have an image carousel, and you do that in, in Svelte, and then an advertisement that's server-side rendered, and you do that in Vue. And that could all be kind of stitched together with Astro. So I'm pretty excited about um, how Agnostic UI could stand on the shoulders of the, <laughs> the hmm. upcoming giants, you know? So it seems like on the roadmap, you really paying attention to, you know, making sure this can be pluggable into... Uh, this new landscape that's evolving with this modular style of having server-side rendered. We actually had the uh, creator Slinkity on a few weeks ago uh, to talk about uh, how his library worked. I, I uh, listened so. to it, yeah. I listened oh, you to did, all yeah. the, your guys, uh, or most of your guys' stuff, and you guys are pretty frequent, so that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was actually accidental. Them. Yeah, it was accidental. Like, I hadn't really planned it. Um, in fact, I, I actually, I have to give Austin Gill credit for coming up with uh with the idea he i was talk, talking to him on his podcast and he was like you know you could you plug this in with uh astro.build and use react view and svelte and astro and then you don't have to ship those frameworks down unless you opt in for client hydration so you can imagine a world where you have maybe just maybe maybe it's a react app already and you've got a lot of react developers so you decide okay we'll ship some of the partial hydrated stuff in React, and then we'll use Svelte um, for these ad widgets that are server-side rendered anyway. And so, well, Svelte compiles itself away, sort of, but like maybe Vue. Maybe you do these widgets in Vue. You don't have to ship the Vue runtime down. Or you could do a completely statically site, uh, server-side rendered site and not ship anything down and use multiple frameworks. So it's pretty exciting to me. And the way that's changing with the edge now, too, things are becoming fast. It's it's really absolutely, um, you know. So it's good to hear that you have your eyes on that for the framework. Twenty five new components, aka a hundred on the way, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> that's good. no, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. I meant a hundred because there's four frameworks. I've right, right. Yeah, twenty five on four. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of it's still it's lines of code that got to be written. It counts as a hundred. Yeah, yeah, I'm doing a menu right now. Like, what kind of UI component library can't doesn't have a menu? Like, you have to have that. But yeah, yeah, like yeah. data grids or or 
exotic date picker, date range things. Like I love those and they're necessary, but for this framework or this library, I'm hoping to I keep that in an add-ons repo or something, but not in core. Right. Uh, okay. There's only there's only so much of me to go around. <laughs> I want to see my kids <laughs> on the weekend, my wife, you know. <laughs> yeah, those are good goals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. If I don't hit them, I'll hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rob. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on and talk to us about Agnostic UI. Uh, we'll definitely be providing those links uh, that we've mentioned during the session below for anybody interested, uh, not only to your blog, but also to the repo for anybody that wants to check it out, maybe contribute, uh, look if it's something for you. Um, is there anything else you'd like to point our viewers to, Rob? Uh, no, in terms of like shout outs, uh, well, I kind of shouted out Austin Gill, so I'll kind of go with that. He's a, a really uh, awesome front end developer and thought leader. He's the author of Utensils and Bedrock CSS. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's a shout out. <laughs> but otherwise, okay. um, a, Agnostic UI is pretty easy to find. I, I did get the domain agnosticui.com. Heck yeah. Um, that yeah, that so. must feel good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I finally bit the bullet. I was like, well, what is it? 10 bucks? I better just go do this. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again. And uh, we'll see you around. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Kate. Thanks for listening to PodRocket. You can find us at PodRocketPod on Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks.